we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, people of all genders, people of no gender. It's dogs. (laughs) Dogs and cats. (laughs) It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. Today we're going to the circus. old number (laughs) yes this one hell yeah the very one i can just i can just i can just see it yeah i can see the uh the peanut shells the animal cruelty i can smell the animal cruelty yeah yeah god yeah we're gonna be talking about some of that today oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah fuck so you know like at one point in time in American history, it was a big fucking deal when the circus came to town. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it shut entire towns and cities down. It was that big of a deal. Well, they, ain't, they ain't got no YouTube. They, right. They got no TV. No, you but, see a fucking elephant. You know what they had? They actually had um, advanced men, which were these guys that would come to town, like, months in advance to, like... The circus will be here in yeah. a couple months. Yeah, they would uh, effectively just... Plaster the town in rainbow and color and neon and posters. Well, and they didn't have neon. Didn't back have then, neon. Yeah, but <laughs> it was a mute, more muted color palette, but the yeah. idea was the same. Yes. Yeah, it was. Might as well have been neon. <laughs> Basically, um, this was to let people know that the circus was coming, but it was also a way of marking their territory because there was territory wars between circuses. <laughs> oh my god! So like. Because they've got a monopoly on, like, exotic entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a way of, like, claiming their space so a cir- another circus couldn't come in and steal their show. Like, have you ever seen an episode of a TV oh. show where two people are throwing a big party on the same day, like, to get on each other's nerves and see which guests will show up to which party? No, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, but well, I understand like, the concept. It's like a trope. Sure, you know? yeah. I understand like, the concept. dueling parties. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure everyone else in the world has. I just can't recall. Yes. Um, yeah, circuses had like a lot of that energy going on. I mean, this is like, this is gang shit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They had had to come up with very creative ways to, you know, stake their claim over a certain location or date. Hence, you know, send out the advance men who would have their own little train cart go out months in advance. Yeah. Because I mean, really, that is the only place you're going to get exotic entertainment. Yeah. You're not going to, you can't just go see that shit, but you can want the circuses in town. Right. One year, 1892, Adam Fourpaw's Circus. They're um they're going to go to Philadelphia. They announced mm. their arrival by basically mummifying an entire eight-story <laughs> building with like 5,000 posters. That's sick. Yeah. 
But you never heard of no four-paw circus. No, never have. Yeah. Well, he and uh, Barnum were actually rivals for a time, but then Fourpaw got bought out and merged with them, like when Disney bought Star Wars. <laughs> like, not really, but kind of. Yeah, or like. There's also a lot of that, a lot of mergers going on in the circus train. Yeah. It's just, it was just another big, big, big business. Well, I mean, really. big entertainment you is know? big business. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Attention is a commodity. True that. But yeah, so when Circus Day came to town. It's a capital C, Circus Circus Day. Day. Yeah. Capital D, Circus Day. All the schools, the shops, the factories would close down because there's no use being open. Everybody's going to be at the circus. Yeah. In South Bend, Indiana, one year, Studebaker Wagon Works, they built carriages and wagons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what they, I mean, is that that's Studebaker? Yep. Yeah. Yes. They locked their doors so that their 7,000 employees could see the program because they just know. Damn. You, know, you might as well. No work today. We're going to the circus. Isn't that fucking crazy? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, imagine, imagine just Wall Street shutting down or something. I, like, you got to go to the circus, boys. Now, I have read about some European countries. And I, don't, I don't know if this is true. I don't want to offend anyone from Italy, but they love soccer over there. Yeah. I did read about it a couple of years ago, like this whole problem with like men my age just like not going to work when there was a, a big soccer game and like bosses having to go to their house and like drag them out and shit. Yes. I'm sure that probably happened like five times, but I did read a story about it. Oh it my funny. God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, on circus day, basically all of the buildings would be empty and the roads would go crazy. They would just be so thick with traffic. Everybody just would just be everywhere. out. Yeah. People everywhere. People from like 50 miles around. Because you, you have to imagine, like, not everybody lived in the city. There's this whole thing with special trains offering discount excursion fares. Right. Drop off, like, hundreds of, of rural people from tiny towns. Yeah. Just drop them off at the showgrounds. Because also the showgrounds are located conveniently to the railroads. Right. That's yeah, how they yeah. fucking get there. Well, it's all of part time. of one big economic engine. Yep. Yeah, there was uh, farmers, some of whom would sell off portions of their grain supply to afford being able to take their family to the circus. Just like traveling by horse and wagon 20 to 40 miles. Just just, just to spend their hard-earned money on shit like cotton candy. I mean, yeah. Lemonade. I would. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I'll what do, else is I'll there do to it do? today. I mean, all the, like the animal cruelty, we know a lot more, you know, when, now with the things right. we know. Yes. But if I was a man in the 1800s, yeah, fuck yeah, we're going to the circus. Oh yeah. And then, you know, besides for like the circus itself, you know, and the midway with all the games and the food, yeah. big top show. Before that, there was people that would get up like at the crack of dawn to go see the spectacle from the very start. I'd like, be that the guy. The very start. Actually, like, I'd probably be there all night drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because like, you know, what's inside the tents during the show is very interesting. But watching the whole thing go up, watching the whole tent city form. Yeah. Like that has its own mystique. Oh, I mean, what? Well, um. When I was uh, in Boy Scouts, there was this little fair in um, in my town, the old home days. Mm-hmm. The quaintest goddamn thing you've ever seen. Yes. It's just adorably quaint. The Boy Scout troop uh, ran the, the Doughboy stand. And so, like, we, some of us would have Good to work Doughboy. the Doughboys. Oh, it was fucking great. Doughboys and Bloomin' Onions. Yep. Hell yeah. They first introduced Bloomin' Onions. It was like a revelation, you know? Yeah. But there was something awesome and, like, kind of indescribable about being at an event like that at the start and the end. Mm-hmm. I've always really loved the the setup oh, and tear down of, yes. of events. I'm gonna yeah. give everybody a hot tip right now. If you like free shit, mm. go to events, volunteer to help out, 
when they're shutting down. Yep. You will end up with so a lot much of free shit. all free food, yep. like all the leftover boxes of whatever. Like, oh, does anybody want these? Yeah. Give them to mama. Yep. I want them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, all that shit. No, but there is a I like that part of things, too. Yeah. 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 Like people were very happy to just stand and watch the trains being unloaded, the tents going up, like also just standing there as like the scent of hot coffee and bacon starts to pop oh. in the air because they're cooking for like a thousand fucking people. Yeah. Yeah. It's practically a traveling town at this point. Like it is. Wow. So like. I, I want to see like a, I don't know, Assassin's Creed game or some fucking video game set during circus day. Yes. With just like massive crowd. Like that would be so fucking. Yeah. People called it the greatest free show on earth. Going to like watch the circus get put up. Oh, and there's probably so much vice going on. Oh, yeah. So much. Sex, drugs, and calliope. Yes. But like, what's so interesting is that in order for this whole shit to go up, it requires so many people to work yeah. Seemingly seamlessly together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, just a bunch of fucking people working to make something out of nothing. Well, it's like a modern music festival. It, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it it functions as this but like, like way more corporate, of a takeover of a city. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like this moving corporate body as well. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. you think of the circus as being sort of this crazy colorful off the beaten path sort of thing but there's also something about it that is very of its time yes where it like it seems like it's counterculture but actually so much about it is exactly the culture of the time yes yeah yeah but yeah it, it feels especially counterculture now looking back on it because we are quite removed from carnival culture Although the fair still comes to town, fair comes to town. I've 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 gone to a carnival or a carnival before or a circus before. Yeah, one time I helped my friend babysit a kid of carnival workers for the fair that was coming through town. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bleak. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> it's bleak back there. I've got a friend who's a carny down in uh, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a glass eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a joke. It's it's true. There's no cala. Fuck yeah. <laughs> You know what they, so we call them carnies, but you know their name, they call us rubbernecks. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Good old fucking rubberneck. Yeah. So like vaudeville, amusement parks, uh, all the world's fairs going on at the time. Yeah. The emerging movie industry. Yeah. The railroad circus. It's an essential component of this burgeoning mass culture experience during the post-Civil War, Gilded Age, post Pre-World War One. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that America. It's, man- that is, you know, the older I get, more that period, like 1890 to fucking. We go there. We like it there. Oh, it's my favorite time period. We keep going back there, dude. It's the time. It is the time when the future first started bearing down. Yeah. Right. So, like the circus, it's this amazing, mesmerizing place. It's also a fucking chaotic, dangerous place. Uh, yeah. A lot of people trampled to death. Oh, sure. Fires could just break out at any moment and cause catastrophe, and often did. Um, yeah. You could easily be swindled out of your money by an oily tongue midway man. Every time. Yeah. When Ringling Brothers played in Mount Pleasant, Iowa on a steamy summer day in 1894, the huge audience became confused. There was some chaos. Would you like to read this quote? Pandemonium reigned and it seemed as if everybody was panic stricken. Families were parted, children screamingly hunted for parents, and parents distractedly hunted for children. Almost everyone was drenched to the skin and many a toilet was hopelessly ruined. Oh. 
Fortunately, no one was hurt and the damage to the property, little or nothing. What, what happened? Just pandemonium. Just it's steamy out. Many, all the toilets got ruined. Yeah, that's what, that's exactly what happened. All the toilets got <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Everyone was drenched to the skin. What the fuck? Yeah. So obviously people are something to be afraid of, but most of the danger of the circus came from Mother Nature. Mm. Yeah. One year, 1893, Adam Forepaw, he's back, his show in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Audience members got trapped underneath the Big Top tent after a oh. gale force wind collapsed it. Oh, holy shit. Imagine that, like the tent goes down, you're fucked. Yeah. You're fucked. That summer, River Falls, Wisconsin, same year, 1893, seven people killed after a lightning strike oh, in fuck. one of the poles in the Ringling Brothers Circus. Damn. And like, obviously, these things are terrifying, but it's also kind of what made the circus so exhilarating because you never knew if a fire would break out or if the live show would go smoothly or you'd watch some guy get his head bit off by a lion. Like, that's oh, what or made the it. Or the trapeze artist. Oh, my falls God. Falls down. You know, that's, that's kind of why you go. <laughs> you like it's all the danger and excitement, just all. I don't know. There's something super thrilling about it. Holy shit. I love the circus. This is wild. Shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> for all its chaos, it's also an incredible place. It's like it's a living sensory mass of unique colors, sounds, smells, a bunch of different yeah. smells in one place. And you can also go there and see the faces of all 5,000 of your closest neighbors. Right, Where else can you do that? Yeah. It's spectacle. Yes. Yeah. Uh, newspapers often focused on the crowd as a defining element of the circus. In 1890, one journalist described the show of nearly 10,000 people from around the county filing into Barnum and Bailey's Big Top. It was the biggest crowd of people ever in one tent in the city. A great sea of faces stretched out in every direction, representing all of the country 30 miles around. To see so many people was the best part of the quote quote performance. Yeah. So like part of it is not even necessarily what they're showing, but just the experience of being there. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, all yeah. the chaos, all the people, so many oh, yeah. fucking people. I get it. That's yeah. Yep. It's it's chaos. It's madness. It's uh Yeah. It's fertile ground for nonsense. Yes. So nineteen oh three, there's ninety-eight circuses and menageries all traveling the nation, the highest number in US history. Okay. Damn. At least 38 of those rumbled by rail. Several journeyed coast to coast in a single season. And I chose this topic because to me, the circus provides us with a perfect symbolic representation of the modern mm. urban industrial society that would end up developing throughout the latter half of the 19th century. The spread of national railroad networks, the telegraph, the telephone, the rise of the unscrupulous Gilded Age robber yeah, barons, dude. the stirrings of the automobile industry all helped to destabilize an older provincial way of life. And to me, the circus encapsulates all of the changes brought about during this I time. I mean, the circus is America. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so how did the circus come to America? We're going to talk about that after our tarot pull. I bet Fuck you thought yeah. we forgot. We didn't. We didn't forget. We just we just really wanted to set the yeah. stage, the yeah. ring, if uh, you will. Oh, I love it. <laughs> all right. It's fucking tight. It, the circus is America. Yes. <laughs> I've been seeing it in everything, too. Oh, I love it. It's why I love America, too. Yep. You know? All right, it's this one. Strength. Oh, my God. I don't think we've ever pulled strength before. Maybe no. we have. No. Well, with the lion, it's yeah, perfect. Yeah, dude. It's literally 
a woman with her hand in the lion's mouth. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, strength uh, in the Thoth deck. It's called Lust and is the path between Chesed, Mercy, and Gebra. Strength um, between the four and the five. Between the between peace and comfort and the teardown. Hmm. Gebra being the sphere of Mars and Chesed being the sphere of Jupiter. I kind of love it. Yeah, I do too. <clears throat> yeah. I also like it because I adopted a dog today and this card just looks like, you know, a nice lady petting a, a dog, except it's a lion. Yeah, it's a lion though. <laughs> yes. Oh, all right. second. Does that sound like something else? Just the Looney Tunes theme. Yeah, yeah. it is. Which I also included. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny circus song. Yeah. Circus and Looney Tunes. Yeah. There you go. It all comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And it does indeed all come full circle because the word circus itself comes from the Latin word for round. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, you know, obviously the circus has been around like forever. Romans had circuses. Egyptians had circuses. People have been getting together to watch shit happen for a long time. Yeah. I mean, we have music festivals now. Like that's one. We have all these other things too, but I I do think the music festival is the next weird evolution. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't until really the 18th century, until the modern circus with the ring and the horseback acts and clowns, all that business came into being. So that's the kind of circus that we talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back in 1700s America, individual clowns, animal trainers, jugglers, acrobats, basically any freeform entertainer just you know, wandered from town to town, tavern, street corners, performing. Like fucking Ronin. You know, yeah. Yeah, people fucking did that. Until 1774. No more doing that. No more doing that? Continental Congress bans traveling shows, along with cockfighting and horse racing and, quote, every species of extravagance and dissipation, because they had to foster Republican virtue. Bullshit. No no more clowns. This reminds me of how like drag queens are being attacked right now and like drag venues and shit and <laughs> yeah. like how that's being a, made a big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no they're fun. corrupting the children. Like, okay, calm down. Yeah. Fucking that's the real reason for the revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want our cockfighting back. Yeah. You'll get it. They will, because this was right before the Revolutionary War. And once the war is over, restrictions are lifted, okay, you know? Everybody's been horse racing the whole fucking time anyway. Go back to your games and your silliness. Yeah. You're clowning around. Right. So, Revolutionary War is over. The circus, you know? That's something that's coming to America, imported straight from the British, whether we like it or not. I mean... We liked it, though. Yeah, we loved it. We, We fucking loved it. In a... In 1792, an English trick rider. Ah. Isn't that a fun title to have? Yeah. A trick rider. Yeah, yeah. His name's John Bill Ricketts. 
He emigrated from Britain to establish the first circus in America. And, you know, before long, a small group of performers from Ricketts' life in Britain joined him in Philadelphia. Among them were his brother Francis, an equestrian and tumbler, Mr. Spinacuta, a rope dancer, along with his wife, Mrs. Spinacuta, who was an attractive equestrian who could ride two horses at full gallop. Oh, she did that thing. Yeah, she did that thing, you know, one foot on each. Yeah. Yeah, there was also a Mr. McDonald, Ah. another tumbler who would perform comic acrobatic intermesos as the clown. That's just, you know, the little in-between acts. Ah, they come out and they just, they tumble around. Ah, yeah, so yeah, like they've, they've got a whole troupe. And basically, um, you know, Mr. Ricketts, he's going to stage the first multi-act exhibition of, we got riders, we got trick horses, we got clowns, we got acrobats, we got jugglers, we got rope walkers. And we're going to do it all in a circular arena and where else but Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Going to do it in Philadelphia. Which I believe was the capital. Yeah, was it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so who's in the audience? President George Washington. President George Washington. Yeah. He never shows up in stories. Well, he's in this story. He literally never. It's like a yeah. mythical character. Here he is. Yeah, he's a friend of uh, John Ricketts. Ah. Very impressed by, you know, his writing abilities. Wait, what's that say after friend of Ricketts? <laughs> oh, yeah. Fellow Freemason. Ah. John Bill Ricketts, also Freemason. Well, well, well. Yes. And um, I'm sure that's where they taught him to do shit, like throw an orange in the air and catch it on the tip of his sword. Yeah, that's while, what... While standing on a galloping horse. Yeah, everyone knows Freemason's black magic. It's the only way you can pull off those stunts. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like... That is fucking sick, though. That's a cool trick. It is. That's, that's badass. Really, the whole circus bit started as a horse people thing. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. horse people doing cool horse tricks. They're... Kind of tapped. Yep. Worst people. Yeah. They're, they're a, little, a little tapped. Yeah. Back in England, John Ricketts, he had been a student and protege of the retired Dragoon, Philip mm. Astley. I fucking love the word Dragoon. Yeah. Dragoon. So, uh, do you know what a Dragoon is? It's like a, like, is it like an admiral or something? It's a mounted, mounted soldier with a, with a gun, I believe with a pistol. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Horse with a gun. Yeah. 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 Gun horse. Dragoon. Yeah, no, I was right. They were originally supposed to ride their horses into battle and then get off and fight on foot. But by the 17th century, they were like, no, let's just stay on the horse and fight with swords and guns. Yeah. yeah. That's just a better idea. So retired Dragoon Philip Astley, right? He starts an open air riding school in London hmm. where basically like it's just outside. So crowds start to gather and watch the students like doing their riding tricks, doing acrobatics yeah. So he's just like a retired military guy who's like, you know what? I can do some cool shit on this horse. I want to teach other people to do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what happens. Word. So Philip Astley decides fucking all these people standing around watching, they should pay for the pleasure. God damn it. Yeah. Make a buck. So 10 years later, the Dragoon himself, Philip Astley, he creates the world's first circus amphitheater near Westminster Bridge. Huh. Over in England. So, yeah. yeah. John Ricketts, who brings it to America, he was Astley's student. So, that's how. Interesting. Because of these fucking horse people. Goddamn horse people. <laughs> it's funny you can trace it back to, like, a couple guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, at first, um, Ricketts Circus only visited major cities because every single time they did a show, they had to construct these large, expensive wooden arenas. Oh, um, wow. And they also needed to ensure a big crowd to cover the cost of construction. So, they only went to... Big places. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, most of the arenas were roofless. And once the show was done, everything would be sold off usually as lumber or they would just keep it there to use for later shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so by the way, fire was and always has been like an enormous liability. It does seem like, like the, the biggest yeah. danger. Yeah. It's like, you're not supposed to smoke in there, but do you think people fucking listened? Of course not. People, I'm sure so many people were smoking in there. Well, I'm sure they've got like, how are they lighting? They're lighting with torches. Right. They got people tumbling around, all these torches all over the place. My God. Shit's going to get fucked up, dude. Yeah, it's very dangerous. They're all drunk. Yep. Yeah. So- it's December 1799. It's three days after the death of George Washington. Well, John Ricketts is going to get even more bad news beyond the death of his friend. Mm. The Ricketts Art Pantheon and Amphitheater in Philadelphia burned down. It's By the, the way, worst day for America. The worst three days for America true. ever. It's true. The building looked ridiculous, by the way. It, it was constructed to look like a big tent like with the tent top yeah. that like goes up and is sort of curved and then has a little horse on top. Yeah, that's on yeah, top of the point. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like a building with a tent top is very funny to me. Yeah, yeah. Turns out one of the carpenters, Mr. Miller, had left a candle burning in the prop room. Fucking Miller. Yeah. So afterwards, John Ricketts decides, you know what? Fuck this entire circus thing. It costs way too much to build everything back up. Like, it's I'm just going to sail to the West Indies on a schooner named Sally. Huh. And bring Mr. Miller with him for some reason. Why? He killed, he threw him overboard. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So their ship gets intercepted by some French pirates. Oh. And they get taken to the island of Guadalupe, where um, to make some money to try and get home, John Ricketts, they still have some remaining horses, so he yeah. starts doing horse tricks in Guadalupe. He's just busking? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he makes enough money to charter a small but unreliable ship back to England. Okay. But the ship like goes missing and everybody gets lost. They're all, they all, they're all gone? Yeah. Holy shit. So that's how- Wow. That, the, yeah. That dude's life sucked at the end. <laughs> that's Or insane. it was awesome. Who knows? It could have been a crazy There adventure. were moments that were incredibly fun. Yeah. But with what a, life. a series of crushing disappointments. What a fucking life Sean Ricketts had. <laughs> Hell yeah. Freemason. That's rad. <clears throat> you don't get lives like that much anymore. No. Or at least I don't. <laughs> so after the death of Ricketts, um, the evolution of the circus in America slows down a little bit. There's another attraction on the rise. Traveling menageries. Mm. These are like really popular right now. It's like a whole big thing for people to go overseas and like get exotic animals, bring them back and then just go town to town showing their exotic animals. So many people caught bad diseases this way, like bad foreign diseases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have to imagine nowadays kids, you ask any five year old, they know what a lion is. They know what a giraffe is. Right. You ask yeah. a kid in fucking, you know, 1820, I don't think so. No, I mean, the rich kids might have seen him in books. Yeah. You know, but I mean, hell, uh, honestly, I don't, that was all still pretty mythical. Like it was the 1800s that, from what I understand, was like when the real, like that that whole fucking explorer thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Which that is why. Helmet hat and It shorts. was appealing. Yeah. There was a lot of like menageries going around by the early 1820s there was 30 or more traveling around the eastern united states but it wasn't until the late 1830s that promoters like joshua purdy brown figured out a way to combine the menagerie with the circus because I mean, like it's natural fit 
So the menagerie, it seems sort of like as this educational thing. Sure. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, Even though most of them were kind of like slapped together haphazardly. Right. That's how they built it. With people that really don't know that much about the animals they're marketing, but like whatever. It's still, it was seen as like a more high class event than the circus. Yeah. So Joshua Purdy Brown, he's from New York. He's just 23 years old. Basically around him is where all of the circuses are popping up for the first time. Like it's kind of the boiling point yeah, yeah. for a lot of the big names. And he ends up making buddies with them. And basically it's all just a bunch of guys that came from nothing that decide we're going to be showmen. We can, we're going to. We can razzle dazzle. Yeah, we can razzle dazzle and they fucking do. So uh, he's 23 years old. Which is like 45 and 1830. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And he's um he's hanging out with Lewis Bailey, who's the son of Hakaliah Bailey. You know? You say that like I should know who Hakaliah Bailey is. Barnum and Bailey. Oh. You know? Okay. The whole, okay. The whole Barnum and Bailey shit. I always forget about Traces Bailey. back to these this family in yeah. New York, Hakaliah Bailey. So Joshua Purdy Brown's hanging out with the son of Hakaliah Bailey, and they decide, hey, what if we started doing these shows in tents? Then we could we could just have like a pop up venue wherever we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whoa, yeah, great idea. So the first tent show ever takes place in Wilmington, Delaware, eighteen twenty five, and. Now, circus proprietors don't have to rely on urban populations because they don't have to invest a ton of cash into making the arena. They just have... They just need some open ground. Yeah. Yeah. They could travel more places and, oh, they sure did. With the introduction of the canvas tent, a new nomadic system of labor was established. Hmm. What a scene. Yeah. It's also like where wrestling pops up. You know, the idea of traveling around wrestling. That happened at carnivals and shit. That's where it gets its birthplace. No shit. A lot of stuff has its roots at the carnival. I love it. I mean, it. it's the it's innovation in American entertainment. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So Joshua Purdy Brown, in addition to the tents, he has this great other innovation in mind. We're going to combine the circus with the menageries. Right. It's, we're going to class it up a little bit, you know? Audiences want a chance to see a glimpse of faraway places that they'll probably never, ever get to visit. Yeah. There is a saying from the Civil War, you know, people want to go to see the elephants. Going to see mm. the elephant. Have you ever heard that saying? Yeah, I have. Yes. And for those who haven't, it means gaining an experience at a significant cost, like uh, heading west for the gold rush, only to find absolutely fucking nothing and losing your financial stability. And oh, okay. Like, or going to the Civil War, you know? Yeah. You say like, oh, Johnny went to see the elephant. Oh, that's what Cody's doing. He's going to see the yeah. elephant. It's something... It's, you begin it with excitement and high ideals, usually only to be disappointed or disenchanted by the reality of it. Oh, Cody's going to ride the elephant then. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's a great expression. Yeah. Wow, I love that so much. The high excitement, you know, followed by frustration, it, just, it epitomizes the elephant as something that people wanted to go see, but few really wanted to see again. Wait a minute. They're disappointed with an elephant? How can you be disappointed with an elephant? It's the most majestic right? creature well, that's ever lived. Because the Pieces reality of, of why it's there. Well, that is, is crushingly sad. sad that, yeah. But I don't think they cared. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did elephants become synonymous with the circus anyway? Because you think of the circus, you kind of imagine like the big elephants. Like yes. it's just a symbol of the circus. I mean, c- colonialism, I, I'm sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but Hakaliah Bailey. Yeah. That Bailey. That Bailey. It's a farmer from New York. He knew a sea captain who had brought over the first two elephants to ever touch American soil. 
See, well, in London, that sea captain uh, bought a female African elephant for 20 bucks, sold it to Bailey for $1,000. That fucking- Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. All those numbers are insane, even for then. Yep. I mean, $20 is a lot back then. Right. $1,000 is a real lot. So this elephant, it gets like put on board. <laughs> I just want to imagine this dude, first dude to, I mean, like, I hate hearing that because elephants are like, they're people. Yes. You know? So I really don't like that. Uh, however- there's something about being the guy who's just like, I'll buy that elephant. The first dude is like, yeah, get on my boat. We're yeah. going to America. For what reason? How are you going to get that elephant what? on that boat? What are you going to do? You got to get a sturdy boat? He doesn't even know. He doesn't know what elephants are. Yeah. I got 20 bucks on it. Fucking maniac. He drops off the elephant in Sing Sing, which is the nearest river town to Bailey's home. Bailey has to walk the elephant. He calls it Old Bet. 56 miles from Sing Sing to Summers, New York. And he walks her only by night, takes breaks during the day, because yeah. he didn't want the public to see her for nothing. Jesus Christ. Well, he did pay $1,000 for it. Yeah. So during the day, he just, you know, exhibits old bet for a small fee, and he begins to make a profit. Dude, imagine you're in fucking Sing Sing goddamn New York. You, you're just some asshole in the early 1820s. Yeah. Some fucking subsistence farmer. Maybe you're working a mill. Maybe you sold your daughter to the mill. Whatever. You're <laughs> just it. doing some fucking American bullshit. New America. All of a sudden, an elephant comes walking down the road. You've never fucking seen an elephant before. Yeah. That's reality shattering. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. It's crazy to make a... From this, you make a living. <laughs> Something my mom says. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So Bailey's success with Old Bet encourages others to invest in unusual animals for exhibition and take them on tour. Like this one guy, Isaac Van Omberg, his act involves sticking his arm and head inside the mouth of a lion. Ah, his first dude to think that was a good idea. Oh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, a guy in Maine shoots Old Bet to death in 1816. But Jesus. Uh, yeah, that didn't stop Hakaliah Bailey from having her remains stuffed and preserved and prepared to be shown all across New England. Then he got another elephant and named it Little Bet, who also got shot to death, like, by a crowd oh, in this, Johnston, Rhode Island. Oh, no, that was not in Johnston. It was Chapachet. Chapachet. Yeah, that was Chapachet. lie. I think, I think so. Maybe, unless two elephants unless, were um, shot. Unless the boundaries might have been different at Boundaries might have been time. different, but, like, yeah, like, a kid shot this fucking elephant, this bridge right in Chapachet, and it was just this tiny, tiny little fucking town. Um, fuck that kid. Yeah, I think that's the story. Like, yeah, I th believe it was a kid shot the fucking elephant. Somebody should um, kick that kid. Oh my God, it's fucked up. But yeah, it's referred to as Elephant Bridge. It's a little, tiny bridge. And this is like a small walking town. They just shot a fucking elephant. The Nonsense Bazaar does not endorse kicking kids. Unless they shoot elephants and kick the fuck out of that kid. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Oh, beat that kid with a fucking... Yeah, what's with <laughs> these people shooting these fucking elephants? Oh, there's an elephant coming to town. Better shoot it. Oh, there's six, like 16, like teenager. Oh, you bet your ass kid's got an ass whooping. Yeah. Okay, so we know Bailey's name from the famous Barnum and Bailey Circus, but where do, where does Barnum come in? Oh, yeah. You know? Because he's the one I remember. I, was, I forget that Bailey's even a part of it. Yeah. And he's the elephant man. Yeah. Phineas Taylor Barnum. He's oh, he's born Phineas. on the fifth of July, eighteen ten. So he's a lot younger than yeah. Hakaliah. But he's he's born in Bethel, Connecticut, only oh. twenty miles from the part of New York State where Hakaliah is showing Old Bet. Like basically at the same time that P.T. Barnum is born. Yeah. And Bailey's a role model to young P.T. Barnum, who you know even writes about meeting him when Hakaliah visited their general store in Bethel, Connecticut. 
where um, PT worked following his father's death. Phineas. Phineas Taylor. Yeah, he definitely admired Mr. Bailey for his business skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For his, his smarts. And young Phineas, he's a natural salesman. He begins selling um, rum to soldiers and, and nuts mm. at age 12. Soldiers love rum and nuts. Please click the link. Selling nuts. <laughs> Hot nuts. Anybody here want to buy my nuts? Hot nuts. Oh my god. I've got nuts for sale. This is little PT Barnum on the street corner. You buy them from the PT man. And they did. Yeah. That's so funny. I my god. Selling nuts. Selling nuts. Selling nuts. Hot nuts. Hot nuts. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's a natural salesman, natural hoaxer too. When he's mm. 25, he pays a thousand bucks for an elderly slave named Joyce Heth. Great. Claims that she's 161 years old and a former nurse for George Washington, and he just like exhibits her throughout the Northeast, raking in an estimated thousand five hundred per week. Hopefully, Holy shit. hopefully he's paying her handsomely. Hopefully, this uh, is a joint operation. I, I I fucking doubt it. I fucking doubt it I fucking too. Fucking doubt it. Jesus. Um, but that was also a thing. Like people were exhibiting animals right for, and doing their traveling menagerie yeah. people were also exhibiting other people I, the old the old, the old freak know? show yeah 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 that was going on and not just people with disabilities but just like foreign people just like, making up a fucking story yeah about some poor fucking slave right or getting like like a here's an indian dude right jesus yeah or like dressing That's up so their fucked. dressing up like an enslaved person like a cannibal or something or like a tribe right person being like oh. found in the jungles of wherever you know there was For a lot of that sake. going on oh um, that's gross it's super gross it's fucking greasy yeah yeah which is interesting because like you know fucking disney makes this movie the greatest showman all about pt barnum acting like oh it was a great cele- celebration of diversity and whatever really and that's exactly when did they make this like a few years ago really yeah you fucking um, assholes but it makes perfect sense because that's exactly the type of diversity that they have in their shows well. and movies i think it's like sort of this ham-fisted like they're better at hiding it but yeah it's yeah. Just, it's a weak excuse it for representation it's it, just it, like yeah. we put it there because you you want right you want more people of color right so we gave it to you the show sucks and it doesn't mean anything to anything but here it is and it's so just like just meaningless the tokenization of fucking everything right yeah. and that's the same diversity that happened at the circus you know so you think of it as like oh it's a it's a cultural melting pot well yeah but no yeah but it's, it like it- it's fucking it's that jenner <laughs> chick handing a, a fucking uh pepsi to a cop you yeah know? yeah i do God. like that it enabled people with disabilities to be able to like make a capitalize living. on it at yeah, least sure. if they're a lot of them said you know at least if i'm gonna be gawked at i'm getting fucking paid for it so yeah yeah you know yeah like that's i mean honestly don't have much of a problem with that part of it right you know as like as if you're volunteering like if you're doing something like have a problem with the culture that spawned it sure but yeah if you're doing that by your own free will and you're getting paid cool as long as you're getting paid decently right yeah so 
At the age of 31, Barnum purchases Scudder's American Museum on Broadway in New York City. Mm. Changes the name to Barnum's American Museum. I mean, he's got naturally. it. Naturally. Yeah. He fucking bought it. Uh, where he exhibits 500,000 natural and artificial curiosities from every corner of the globe. And, you know, when you enter, there's signs all over the place to keep traffic moving that say this way to the egress. Mm. And these signs are like, you know, pointing to doorways and shit. People don't know what an egress is. Um, it means exit. Yeah. So they would accidentally follow these signs to the egress and exit the building through like this side door and realize that they would have to pay another quarter to re-enter the museum and finish the tour if they wanted to see it all. Fucking That's brilliant. dirty. Yeah. Yep. That's fucking... Like, wow. Barnum, he didn't even get into the whole circus game until he was 60 years old. This dude's a motherfucker. Yep. He was spending all of his time carefully honing his abilities to swindle and hoax. And he was damn good at it and proud of it. Yeah. He literally called himself the Prince of Humbug. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, you know what? If he's honest. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And there weren't that many museums in that day. And Barnum, he was really good at advertising. Even if most of his exhibits were like tricks and fakes, like his trained flea circus he had. Um, that the flea circus. The fucking God flea circus. Damn it. This was a time when big businessmen referred to as robber barons acted like they owned the country. And honestly, they pretty much did. Oh, we're going to we're going to cover a couple of them the time soon of, enough. Of big oil and, yeah. and the know, all, yeah. all that shit. The greatest showman. Yeah. OK, Disney. Those the robber barons, they're all fucking insane characters yeah like they are larger than life oh like, yeah I, i'm planning on covering uh andrew carnegie at, at a certain i can't point. wait oh dude he, that dude's fucking insane yeah yeah <sighs> the greatest showman's really the greatest swindler but you know what audiences still fucking like it it's like how yeah. audiences they'll eat up every adam sandler movie they'll still like it there's an audience for it and they don't mind they want the trash yeah they don't want to think hard they just want to be entertained. And honestly, when someone's that honest about what they're doing, yeah. there's no con there, right? Yep. Like, I want to see it because I want to see how ballsy this dude is. Yeah. Right? Like, I want to see the swindle. I yes. want to be swindled. How how good are you? you right? Know? So, you know how he goes from the museum business into the circus business? Fucking fire. What else? It's oh. always the fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, got, it got rickets, <laughs> you know? As well, his big paradigm shift out of the circus life. Yeah. Now it's Barnum's paradigm shift into the circus life. Yeah, it was, was burning down. Yeah. So it do be burning. So he teams up with these two other circus owners and together they launch Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan, and Hippodrome. Ah, the Hippodrome. Also known as the greatest show on earth. They God launched this damn. in 1871. God damn. So he's combining all the shit in. It's not because circus low class, carnival mm. kind of low class ish. Yeah. This is not that. This is the greatest show on earth. This is a traveling museum. Yeah. This is like a bunch of shit wrapped into one. Yeah. 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 Because like, ah, uh, yeah. So like the circus was just like these fucking low lifes. Yes. This is gross and just kind of like, ah, we're doing our horse tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Not the top hat and the... Right. The whole fucking spectacle of the no, thing. No, but like the CD shit back to 1774 when this shit was banned. You know, when you couldn't do your traveling right. acts and entertain people like this. Like... He's the first Nyarlathotep. I love it. I mean, Nyarlathotep was based on a Tesla. 
Yeah. Sort of like that was a dream Lovecraft had about that. But like that's that's the archetype. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I hate him. But I love him. So the greatest show on earth is launched 1871. And 10 years later is when Barnum joins forces with a relative of Barnum's former, I guess, role model, you would say. Yeah. It's James A. Bailey. He's like a sort of a distant-ish relative of Hakaliah's. Oh, interesting. So that's who Barnum joins forces with. And a year later, Barnum and Bailey introduce Jumbo to the world. Oh, no. Jesus. It's too much. You really just got to remind me about Jumbo right now. (laughs) Yep. (sighs) Because this is what we're talking about here. Yeah. If you know who Dumbo is, that song is from one of the fucking saddest scenes ever. Yeah. Probably in cinema. Let's be honest. Dumbo is a fucking sad movie. Dumbo is gut wrenching. (laughs) Fuck that shit. I refuse to watch the Tim Burton live action version. With like the CG, even more realistic looking elephant that has the big sad eyes. Like, no, that oh, yeah. I'm all set on that. <laughs> so, you know how we call large stuff jumbo sized? Yeah. Yeah. Jumbo. Jumbo. It's like <laughs> jumbo shrimp. It's like really big, but also fun. Yes. Yeah. Jumbo shrimp. Love jumbo shrimp. Yep. It's such a good oxymoron because yeah, they're tiny. But, like, but they're big shrimp. But they're big. They're big shrimping. That's what I call my cat when she curls up ah. like a little shrimp. I say, yeah. Coco, you're big shrimping. Well, we can thank Barnum and the star elephant of his circus for why we call shit jumbo size. Okay. The name of this elephant was not Mumbo Jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo. Mumbo Jumbo. No shit. Often referred to simply as Jumbo. And hence Dumbo. Hence Dumbo. Yeah. Yeah. When I was like, I didn't know about Jumbo. Quite honestly, until yeah, me this week. and I was like, "Oh, sh- oh, that's why Dumbo." That's why Dumbo. Oh, and then it just made Dumbo so much more sad. Yeah. So when uh, when Jumbo is only two years old, his mother is killed. Jesus Christ! In order to be shipped off and stuffed for display. Awesome. Yes, Mumbo Jumbo. He's just a very he's a tiny boy, a very tiny boy. By the way, he's a runt. Really? Yeah. So Jumbo is an oxymoron from the outset. Yep, because he's the tiniest. God damn it. I know. <laughs> and he, he doesn't even grow to his normal size until he's about five years old. Damn. And he ends up only living half the lifespan of, you know, your normal African elephant, which is about 50 years. Jumbo only gets to live for 25 years. Jesus. Um, you know, and during his 25 years, he exhibited signs of extreme grief over his mother's death, perhaps. I don't know. Well, or yeah. Or just over his situation. Yeah. You know, yep. rage at being forced into small enclosures and elephants are fucking people. They're really smart. They're people. They have society. They mourn their dead. Yeah. Like they're fucking people. Um, yeah. I actually want to. Jumbo was a male African elephant and he's bought by the British and he's exhibited in the zoo in London. And he becomes very popular. And P.T. Barnum thinks it would be great to own Jumbo and bring him to the circus. He buys Jumbo from the London Zoological Society. The sale of Jumbo caused an uproar in England. People were writing letters to the newspaper. They really didn't want to see Jumbo go. Jumbo was shipped over in a large crate. 
then there is a kind of jumbo mania that takes off. Jumbo is a sensation. It's a very good investment, really, for a circus. Jumbo is with the circus just a few seasons. In 1885, he is killed by an unscheduled freight train. He's crossing the train track and dies really quite awfully yes. right there by the train track. P.T. Barnum is loath to stop making money off of Jumbo, and so he has his hide preserved, and he exhibits his hide and skeleton in a tent the following year. Yeah. They killed Jumbo with a train? Yeah. By so, they, I mean God? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So it's like, sure, a, a bunch of famous people got to ride on the back of this elephant, and, you know... Pretty much everybody in England and America knew his name, but life for Jumbo was fucking sad. His notoriety meant nothing. That it just displayed his fucking height and his goddamn. Yeah. Did so you notice? Um, did you notice that his tusks were cropped too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, humans didn't do that to him. They didn't like chop his tusks off or you know ivory or whatever. Okay. He actually did that to himself. Um, he was self-harming. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he was, see, exactly. He was depressed, like, he was anxious, and he often tried to hurt himself. Yeah. Like, would just throw himself into things. Um, yeah. 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 That's a depressed person. Yeah, and the only way to keep him calm was with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> the elephants are fucking people. That's f so fucked up, man. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Um, His Fuck handler, Matthew Scott, who I imagine is probably an alcoholic himself. Right, would, sure. He was basically Jumbo's only friend. Probably not even a very good friend, but they drank together a ton and like seemed to have their own special language. Very fucking weird. I mean, like that's fun, but like not in that context. Yeah, I'm sure that Matthew Scott, God knows what his story, because you don't end up in this life unless you have a fucking like yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure not a good dude. Yeah. Well, but who knows? So in 1885, Jumbo's struck by that train in Ontario, Canada. It's fucking insane, um, by the way. That's just a real absurd way yeah. for Jumbo to die. Yeah, one part of his tusk ends up lodged into his brain, resulting in instant death. Oh, my God. And, well, of course, his handler, like, goes mad because bystanders are starting to very morbidly help themselves to, like, parts of Jumbo, like his ears, feet, and fuck? skin and shit. So, like, Matthew Scott's just, like, yelling at everybody to get away. Oh, my God. It's gross. And the story that Barnum gives to the press is that Jumbo had tried to save a smaller elephant, an elephant named Tom Thumb, from an oncoming train. Well, that was a lie. I'm not, I don't think that elephant even existed. Yeah. But that's not what happened. Fuck. There was actually a question about whether Barnum had maybe paid Scott to allow Jumbo to die, because this was an unscheduled train, by the way. Right. Like, and how the fuck does an elephant get hit by a train? First of all, you can't hear Timing. it coming. And yeah. second of all, yeah. like, why is that elephant standing on the train tracks? I mean, there's probably a lot of. There should never. Crowds. It shouldn't be yeah. standing on the train tracks ever. Your prized elephant. Yeah. Like, so in any case, it seems like after Jumbo's death, Matthew Scott, his handler, never got over it. Just as Jumbo never got over the death of his mother, so it was like the curse was passed on from Jumbo to Matthew. Really bleak. Really bleak. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Ow. Meanwhile, Jumbo's hide gets exhibited for a few years after his demise because you know Barnum's ghoulish. Still got to make money. There's still money to be made. He's the still world's money most to famous be elephant. Fucking made. God yeah. damn. The hides later sent to its intended home at Tufts University, where guess fucking what? It burns up in a fucking fire in 1975. Whoa. Yeah. What is with it? What is with that? Whoa. 
That's weird. Yeah. So That's um, odd, dude. Luckily, some student <laughs> accidentally pulled off Jumbo's tail and it's been kept in like the school's archives that did not get burned. So they have his tail and his skeleton is at the American Museum of Natural History. Damn. And can I can I please just put forward an idea? This might be crazy. Ascended Master Jumbo? No, he didn't do anything special. He was you know what I mean? He wasn't the best at anything. Like it's sad. Saint he's the Jumbo. most famous elephant. I'll give him a Saint Jumbo. Yeah. He's, I mean, I guess he made his place in culture as the inspiration for Dumbo. Kind of just by being there. He's no Togo. Yeah. We, it's Togo's ascended master Togo, but Jumbo, I mean. Jumbo's, I don't want, I'm not, not talking there. shit on Jumbo now. He's minor master. It's sadder that he's not an ascended master. It right? is. Saint Jumbo. He was just like an alcoholic elephant. <laughs> that was a part, he was just a. A drunk dude in chains. That's that literally sucks. it. Like, that's like, up, dude. Yeah, it's really fucking sad. I fucking hate it. Yeah, wow. He does deserve to be immortalized. Poor fucking guy. He d- he deserves to be immortalized in some way. Saint Jumbo. Yeah. Yeah, he'll like get his own little yeah, he's, placard. He's, he's at a the martyr bottom. of some. Yeah. Some type. <laughs> martyr uh, of alcoholic elephants. I know a few of them. The good people. Yep. Um, so the idea about keeping an elephant drunk to keep it calm, yeah, it reminds me of another circus and carnival oddity from the past that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Geek shows. Like, uh, like Big Bang Theory? <laughs> <laughs> like, so when I first read and learned about geek shows, it made me realize how clever the show Freaks and Geeks is, like that title. Freaks it's and a Geeks. great show. Because the circus had freak shows, but they also had geek shows. Yeah. And geek shows involve just regular ass people, no physical abnormalities, but they're behaving in a garish, animalistic way under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Um, oh, it's, it's Nick Land uh, croaking into a microphone, doing the frog yeah. bit. Yeah. They, Becoming animal. Yes. Oh, yeah. They freakified themselves through their actions, basically. Yeah. Namely, biting the heads off of animals. So originally, biting from, the heads off of animals. Yeah, that's A fucking that's metal what the geek of them. Show is. Yeah, um, very Ozzy Osbourne of them. Yeah, very counterculture. I mean, it's gross. Yeah, <laughs> originating from the German word "geck," meaning fool or simpleton, the word changed in the early 19th century to "geek" as it's spelled today and began to be used to describe performers who would. Bite the heads off chickens and drink the blood and wow. act all fucking crazy and shit, you know? Yeah. Just wild it out. And then it it morphed to like, oh, you play Dungeons and Dragons or you like computers or Yeah, computer geek, D yeah. nerd. Um, yeah. Yeah. The geek squad. The geek squad. Best buy. Yeah, don't that. let them in, in your house. They'll bite your heads off. <laughs> <laughs> A longtime worker in the circus and freak show business named Doc Fred Bloodgood. No, um, no, he wasn't. Yeah. He was wow. apparently one of the first implementers of the geek show. Yeah. He characterized. Bloodgood. Yeah. Yeah. He characterized geek as a term used around circuses and carnivals for a wild man or woman. Now, uh, Doc Bloodgood, he had his geeks performing in a pit of snakes instead of chickens. <laughs> the The usual would be chickens, like biting the heads off of chickens, but Doc Bloodgood snakes. What? So they would just crawl around, like creep and crawl in a pit of snakes, bite their heads off. And this was to strike fear into the audience. Because, you know, like, 
you feel safe sitting there, but you're so close to it too. Yeah. Like you're, you're right there. And the horror of the geek is very much unlike the freak because the freak, you can't become like him. Right. But you could become the geek if you sink low enough. Holy shit. Because the geeks, they didn't even get paid, by the way, except usually in their substance of choice and a pile of hay to sleep in. Their addiction addiction was used as a leash to keep them close to the show. Oh, wow. It was a way to basically gain cheap, dedicated workers who are willing to stay through horrible and demeaning treatment because they're there to get their next fix. Like people who are physically dependent on their substance of choice. Wow. Like you better bite the- Yeah. Yeah. So of all the employees, they had to endure the worst conditions and usually had to live alongside the animal, effectively becoming the wild man and would usually become really sick, you know, from being yeah. around animal waste. Well, no, the heroin, too, or laudanum or whatever. Yep, yep. Someone recommended I watch the movie Nightmare Alley. And because it's a Del Toro movie, mm. I thought like, oh, this is going to be like a horror movie with some supernatural shit or like maybe fantasy flavor. But no, that movie is just the horrors of carnival culture taking its toll on a man. It's the fall of a, a professional mesmerist and swizzler and swindler, <laughs> a professional mesmerist and swindler to a pathetic alcoholic forced to accept the role of a geek because he now has nowhere else to go. Wow. Do you want to play this clip? Wow, dude. It's from Nightmare Alex. It's Willem Dafoe explaining how you make a geek. How you make a geek. How do you ever get a guy to geek? Oh, I ain't gonna crap you up. It ain't easy. You gotta pick up a broken drunk, a real alky, a two bottle a day full seat. Pick him up from where? Nightmare alleys, train tracks, flap houses, you name it. A lot of folks came back from the war addicted to the poppy, to booze. Now, opium really sinks its claws, but you reel them in with booze. You tell them, I got a little job for you. It's a temporary job. Make sure you emphasize that. Just temporary until we get ourselves another gig. You spike it with that opium tincture. One drop per bottle, that's all. But oh, oh now, this is what he thinks is happening. So you say one like this, you say to him, well, I got to get me a real geek. He says, ain't I doing okay? You say, like crap, you're doing okay. You can't draw a real crowd faking a geek, you're through. And you walk off. Now that night, you drag out the lecture, you laid on thick. All the while you're talking, he's thinking about sobering up getting the crawling shakes, the screaming, the terrors. You give him time to think that over while you're talking. Then you throw in the chicken. You geek. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Of course so. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. That is. And that's that, not. That happened? That's not inaccurate, unfortunately. Whoa. Like, maybe they're not spiking all the, the <laughs> booze with opium to get them addicted. Maybe they are. But, like, but like fucking, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. You know, because think of it. You have a bunch of workers that are addicted to your shit and you're like making moonshine or whatever. Yeah. That's a bunch of cheap labor. 
you know, you just pay them and they got a, a tent to stay in and they got booze and they got, you know, amenities, whatever. That's like there's hierarchies within the circus, too, of like who gets preferential treatment, who who gets to live lavishly, who gets to live like crap, like just with it, just like in society. That's just within the confines of the circus. There are the dregs and like so fucking evil. I just I can't even the billionaire. Yeah, it's crazy. Like that's <laughs> fucking absurd. Um, yeah, I really wanted to talk about the geek show. Yeah, for that reason. Yeah, what the fuck? Like the it's fucking. Oh, that's one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Since the elephant. Since the elephant, like ten yeah. minutes ago. Wow. Yeah. So the golden age of the circus, when when was this? Golden age, 1950s. For those who are- 1850s. 1850s. Yeah. Thank you. For people who go to bar trivia nights, I just want you to take note. This is also around when the gold rush began. Gold rush began 1848. 1848. Yep. Yep. So like, there's a lot going on. Golden age, gold rush. Yeah. I mean, this is American expansion. This is- uh... Yeah. Yep. America coming into its own before it splits. Indeed. Yeah. So it's 1852. There's about 30 circuses touring the U.S. And as the nation expanded with it, so did the circus. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. Period of remarkable change, innovation, expansion, upheaval. It's a crazy time. People yeah. think it was boring. And we aim to show it ain't. It definitely it, isn't. It definitely probably My isn't. God, yeah. it isn't. The railroad and the steamboat, these were inventions that definitely contributed to the formation of the circus and what it would become. This Absolutely. idea of being able to travel vast distances yeah. through faster ways. Even the principle of like modularity and like like setting up a tent like and all the shit, being able to set something up and take it down. Yep. All the shit, the whole mechanized kind of industrial revolution bullshit. Right. So after the completion of the Erie Canal... Uh, the circus, which was previously limited to eastern and southern states, <clears throat> now had access to the old Northwest Territories and beyond. And following the Civil War, states like Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, they're all mm. doing pretty good because they're all home to fertile, cheap farmland. Yeah, yeah. And they're located right at the crossroads of a ton of rivers and railroads. Perfect places to become circus centers. Yeah. And, you know... This is around the time when the circus is like one of the country's most popular forms of entertainment. It's a traveling show that goes directly to the people. Yeah. I mean, as we talked about in the intro, like it's fucking circus days coming. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people, it, it might be some of the, the only shit they've done all year. You know, like. Yeah. Yeah. It's Otherwise, it's working in a factory, selling your daughter to a factory, subsistence farm, and her fucking right. dying in a gutter somewhere. So, <laughs> it was the competition among the various circuses that created this golden age of the circus because each of them had to, you know, outdo each other with that, more spectacular shows. That is the free market. Yep. Yeah. And um, <laughs> one thing they start doing is constructing giant fucking river boats that would float along riverbanks yes. just like playing the, how do you pronounce it? I've always said calliope. Calliope, I yeah. I think that's it. I'm probably I would wrong. I float along the riverbanks playing discordant calliope. And um, a man named Charles W. Rogers, he's the he's the guy who built the first circus showboat. It was oh. called the Floating Palace. It cost $42,000. Damn. Now, I love a riverboat. Yeah. It's like- These look crazy. Look up like floating circus boat or like circus 
riverboat. Circus steamboat. I don't know. I've never even, I've never gotten to go on a, a riverboat, but like, damn, I love a riverboat. Everything about a fucking casino riverboat on the mighty Mississippi oh, yeah. is my favorite part of America. Yeah, dude. They're fucking nuts. So, uh. Did you tell me they put elephants on those things? Right. Apparently. Did they? <laughs> so one of those uh, circus steamboats. It's 1869. It rolls up to the bank of the Mississippi River where yeah. the Ringling Brothers grew up. I just remembered it's now Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. Yeah, now ah. it is. everything's a fucking merger. The, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Everything merges eventually until it all becomes one and then it all becomes nothing and then it all becomes everything. Nick Land croaking into a microphone forever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, all of the circuses, like the famous circuses, ended up becoming amalgamations of one another at one point, like clicking together, breaking apart, all sorts of names put squished together. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, it's capitalism. Yeah. Like pure fucking capitalism. So the Ringling Brothers get to go see one of these circus steamboats. And after the show, and with encouragement from their father, the little Ringling Boys decide to create their own circus in Iowa. It's going to be four kids by kids. Little kid circus? Little kid circus, yeah. Oh, that's cute. Uh, The oldest brother, Al, he borrows the neighbor's horse and learns to stand on its back while it prances around. (laughs) How do you think... Like, did the neighbors know? Yeah, that's what was my question. Night, yeah. Like, Bo- quote, quote, <laughs> borrow the neighbor's horse. Yeah. Um, at the start, they charged 10 sewing pins for admission to basically help their mom out because she would okay. you know, sew all their shit. Um, and then they eventually decided to charge a penny. So they became a little penny circus. Yeah, yeah. And as their penny circus got bigger, the boys began putting on um, circus parades in the street. Because that was something circuses did. They would do a big free parade in the city. Yeah, yeah. You know, to... Encourage people to come to the tent. Yeah. But they they did their own little circus parade with their own menagerie of animals. Um, but instead of lions and giraffes, they had some kittens and dogs. A little bullfrog in a cage that said, From Timbuktu, captured at great risk from a faraway swamp from which no other frog collector has emerged. That's adorable. Yeah, people loved it. Holy shit. They thought it was really cute. Yeah, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Little kitten wow. down the street. That's... Yeah. What a... I'm getting a whiplash over here. Yeah. So they start performing in the family barn. They've got some wooden beams and tight ropes. They set up some swings. They're doing acrobatic shit. They're juggling. Yeah. But Al decides, you know, I'm a grown man. I got to I gotta get away from this family, make a good living. Yeah. He goes to Wisconsin. He works in a wagon and blacksmith shop. Huh. But on the weekends, he's got to keep his tightrope skills sharp. Because this, in the back of his mind, he's earning money for something else. Yeah. He's doing the blacksmith shit, but it's all towards a bigger cause. Yeah, yeah. So on the weekends, he's doing tightrope shows and he's... He also learns how to balance a 70-pound uh, plow on his chin. What the fuck are you doing, bud? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And he would just do this outside for free. Like, he didn't want to be paid for it. He just loved performing and shocking people with what he was capable of. I mean, me too. But you're... Ooh, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous game to play. Yeah. Balancing a 70-pound plow on your chin. It is. It can go very wrong. You might light on fire. Right. Yeah. So Al's watching his little brothers getting older and he's thinking, you know, I want to see my family prosper. 
And I don't want to work in my dad's harness shop. I want to start a circus, but for real this time. For real. A, a real, real circus. circus. Yes. <laughs> so the first Ringling performance involving all five brothers takes place on November 27th, 1882. I'm not even going to say where because I don't know how to pronounce Mazomani? Mazomani? <laughs> Fuck if I know. Who knows? Yes. In a vaudeville style show, two of the brothers danced, two played instruments, and one sang. While the Ringling family was always poor, Mama Ringling always made sure to keep her boys musical so that they had talent under their belts. So she she always set aside money to get them instruments. They knew how to play. That's a good mama. They knew how to perform. That is a good mama. That's a fucking good mama. Yeah. So <laughs> the brothers used their profits from that evening's show, their first little vaudeville yeah. dancing show. Uh, to get some evening suits and top hats so that they would look more professional. They're starting from the ground up. Yeah. They continue doing shows around uh, Wisconsin town halls to earn money, and eventually they get enough to level up. They get a traveling wagon, a horse, and a partnership with a veteran showman named Yankee Robinson. Yep, sounds like a veteran showman. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, Yankee Robinson dies uh, right before the end of their first season, but that's okay because they have plenty of brothers. I mean, <laughs> they've got two more brothers that, they, that can join. Yeah? They've got a sixth one, Henry. All right. Seventh one, Gus. Come in, mm. boys. So they Seventh son. Yes, they, they join. <laughs> now it's 1887. The official title, and this is even longer than the one Barnum came up with. I'm looking at it right now. Ringling Brothers, United Monster Shows, Great Double Circus, Royal European Menagerie, Museum Caravan, and Congress of Trained Animals. (laughs) (laughs) They went. I kind of love the Ringling Brothers. Since they were boys. This is great. Yep. I mean, I'm sure there's animal abuse and all this shit. Of course, it was of the time, but. But it started like this. They're out of their fucking minds, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And each brother had a specialty. Alf did publicity. Gus arranged advertising. Seventh son with the black magic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Al picked acts. Charles produced the show. Henry attended each performance. He just went. He just he was there. All right. Otto managed money and John supervised transportation. It was John's skillful routing of their circus that allowed them to avoid clashes with competitors. And like they were very smart about growing their audience in small neglected towns. Because like, okay, so Barnum and his manager were focused on population when it came to basing where right. their show. Yeah, yeah. But the ringlings, John was like a wizard about it. He analyzed mm. seasonal patterns, weather conditions of that region. Oh. The incidence of drought and rain, crop reports, factory conditions, bank clearings, and the presence of summer resorts. Like, how's their hotel industry? How's their travel industry? This motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. He's smart with it. Yeah. They got, got seven it. brothers and they've all got their skills. I I respect that yeah. very much. So Jesus that's, Christ. Bro. That's a bit about the Ringling Brothers. That's that old black magic. And now- This whole circus thing is that old black magic. The whole goddamn fucking- It is. Yes. That's the 1890s and beyond. It's the turn of the century. The yeah. size and scale of the railroad circus is, again, mirroring the growth of- Big business and expansion of the industrial workforce. This is a time when the face of the nation is changing very rapidly. Yeah. Uh, from 1890 to 1924, about 23 million immigrants 
pour into the United States, hoping to find prosperity in our expanding industrial economy. Some poor fuckers end up in Alaska. Yeah, right. Our manufacturing output at the time, though, was crazy. It exceeded Great Britain, Germany, and France combined. Yeah, man. So we were do big industry. Yeah. I mean, this was that time when America started stepping onto the world stage. I mean, mm-hmm. like the, the Spanish-American War was around this time, like America's first like foray into- you know, war as an industry and yeah, uh, yeah. It's a it, the the turn of the century is fucking just. It's a wild time. And wild, as we wild time. as we know from our episodes about like you know the Oneida community or John Murray Spear and his Electric Messiah. Yeah, this was a time when people thought that maybe maybe this new industry could help us achieve utopia. Yeah, you know, like there was a lot of. Crazy ideas being thrown. Spiritualism at an all-time high, too. Yeah. You know? Just very interesting time. Perhaps even more so than now, the air was like electric with possibility and thoughts yes. of the future and what yes. technology could do and what miracles may come. Well, while some people were very optimistic, others like Sherwood Anderson despaired that industrial development was strangling the nation's spiritual life. I was not wrong. Do you want to read this quote? The land was filled with gods, but they were new gods, and their images standing on every street of every town and city were cast in iron and steel. The factory had become America's church, and duplicates of it stood everywhere, on almost every street of every city, belching black incense into the sky. Yeah. yeah. And again, you could say, like, some people might call, like, Coca-Cola a new god and a new image, these things that you see on every street. Sure, yeah. You might see it that way. You I mean, have to. I, you know, I, I see there's... um. I could see why someone to get into, but yeah, there's there's a there's a it's not like this now is an analog to this. It's an evolution of this, like the mythology and the the yeah, the the mythology is much deeper and ingrained and total now. But I love the idea of like the factory is replacing the The church, church the black incense, dude, that's that's, um, you know, yeah, that's great imagery there. Yeah. So between 1880, 1900. You know, immigrants flooding in. There's also approximately 7 million workers participating in a shitload of strikes across the nation to protest low wages and dangerous conditions because, um, yeah, (laughs) you know, like there's no sort of there's also no FDA, you know, they're just shoving fucking whatever into your food. They're, They're letting whatever happen in factories. There's no guidelines for anything. It's just, it's a circus. It's a circus. Goddamn circus. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, the panic of 1893 happens. And after seven years, it seems like there's relative prosperity. But even so, there's still fucking 12% unemployment in 1900. Yeah. And for comparison, we're at what, like 3% right now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Low single digits. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's a, I mean, yeah, it's not far, it's extremely underreported and, t- but 12% right. is fucking huge. Yeah, that's huge. So yeah, the same economic and social forces transforming other areas of American life sure. are happening in the circus, although a lot smaller in scale than giant businesses like, you know, Standard Oil and Steel, there were a few giants created by the circus. Like the fact that, you know, Everybody listening to this probably knows Barnum and Bailey Ringling Brothers. You've heard yes. the name. You just know that. Yeah. There's a reason why you know that. Because- You well, know the term, the greatest show on earth. Yep. While the circus may have seemed like an alternative lifestyle or answer as to what to do with one's life when they 
don't want to go with the norm, well, right. right away, join the circus. It really didn't differ all that much from other big businesses of the time. I mean, they employed over a thousand workers. They had a, a division of labor that was highly specialized, bound to the clock to fixed railroad schedules. Like, right. they're, you know, they're on a schedule. Yeah, it runs like a fucking machine. They run based on efficiency. And, you know, each non-performing worker is basically just an anonymous cog in the yeah. service machine. Yeah, yeah. At Barnum and Bailey, um, a lot of the working men employees, the people that just, you know, did the, the shit yeah. All the non-performing shit. They had numbers instead of names because that was easier to remember. So it was just as alienating as working the assembly line. Just a different way of doing it. Tamper happened more in some ways. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So P.T. Barnum and Bailey, they merged their operations 1880. That's when that happens. Yep. Then a decade later is when Barnum dies. Oh, he, he dies. He just dies. Yeah. Oh, no shit. He doesn't even make it to 1900. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yep. But Bailey goes on, he keeps the name, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, Bailey goes on to acquire a bunch of the other nation's biggest shows, um, the Adam Fourpaw and Sells Brother Circus. See, it's, no now, shit. it's now Fourpaw and Sells. <laughs> right. We've added on. Oh, so they merge. Yeah. And then, wow. So, so Barnum and Bailey now acquires Fourpaw and Sells, and now, which itself, you know, was the product of a fucking merge. Yeah, I mean, it's the same shit that happens yeah. with the railroads, with the fucking, with steel. Like, yep. yeah, dude. <clears throat> And up until this point, like, it just made sense to merge because otherwise they're just disputing over territories. They had to keep signing truces like every few years to um, sign the rights to like, you get this area of the country during the time, I get this area, you get this. And that's just like a common way. It reminds me of streaming services fighting over content. Yeah. You know, fighting over audiences. Yeah, I mean, and- And then merging over it. It's lit. You know, it's literally the exact same shit, just different. And likewise, people, you know, doing their own thing, living an alternative lifestyle, but just feeding the entertainment machine. Yep. Like us. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> so uh, no, we don't fucking advertise. No, we don't. Yeah, that's goddamn right. Join our Patreon. Yeah. Well, Barnum and Bailey Circus toured Europe from, you know... In the late 1890s, the Ringling Brothers captured American audiences. Okay. So Barnum and Bailey were like Europe, Ringling Brothers, America. And then eventually they decided, wouldn't it just make sense to join? Wouldn't it, you know, that uh. way we don't have to keep separating our territory and we're not going to draw business away from each other. Let's just like do this who thing. Who so very conveniently, James Bailey dies in 1906 oh. and the Ringling Brothers just come right in and scoop up his entire holdings during the Depression of 1907. Oh, shit. For a bargain. Oh, fuck. 410,000. Damn. Just a bargain. Yeah. Then the Ringling Brothers go on to operate the Barnum and Bailey Circus. So wow. they scooped it all up for themselves at the end. They they came in That's at the crazy. end and said, it's ours now. Ringling Brothers on top. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They actually did. They operated Barnum and Bailey as a separate thing until 1919. Like they let it pretend to be its own oh, thing. Yeah. Separate from them for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, dude, there's fucking direct, tons, of, tons of beers, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see ads for fucking you know two different ads i remember i saw one fucking super bowl there was 
I forget what beers it was, but it was two different like domestic brands owned by the same company. Yep. Like, I, you know, owned by Anheuser-Busch or something. Um, and in the commercial, they were making fun of the other brand by name. Of course. Yeah. Just, it's just wild. You know, it's just wild. Mm-hmm. Fucking. Well, it's like how um, the leader of the Proud Boys has websites um, selling pro Biden merch. Wait, does he? Yeah. Like he doesn't give a fuck. He's a, he's a swindler. Yeah. Fucking swindler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, smart. Yeah. So that brings us to where they're at today. The fucking Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey's. This yeah. name that we all know. Apparently they went away in 2017. Oh. You know? Yeah. They they took themselves out. Well, right around the time people would start wising up like, hey, since yeah. you fucked up. So you go to their website now. They have a bunch of, we're sorry about the animal. Ah, yes, yes. We now, animal free circus. Guess what? They're coming back. They're coming back? They're now coming back. The greatest show on earth has always inspired oh, no. the very best of human possibility. Our performers celebrate cultures from all over the world. Reimagining the greatest show on earth starts with our audience. It's a balancing act of sparking wonder, creating simple fun, and creating a production that celebrates the world's most thrilling acts and performances. We're going to be reinventing things and taking it to a place that nobody even imagined it could go to. We want people to be on the edge of their seat and be like, oh my goodness. We're going to be bringing the audience into the show in a 360-degree environment that is going to surround them with sound and include audience-generated content for the very first time. What does that mean? We're searching the four corners of the world for the best, most original talent. I'm from the Netherlands. Nosotros somos de Colombia. We are from Ethiopia. Memphis, Tennessee. We have laughed, we have cried, and been starstruck by sensational performers with one-of-a-kind acts, unbelievable backgrounds, and incredible stories to tell. We have found superstars, and we can't wait to introduce them to the world. We are so excited to be producing a show for everyone. It will be spectacular fun that the whole family enjoys together. Everybody, Ringling is, is back. back. Ringling is back. Ringling is back. Oh my God. The return of the greatest show on earth will be the greatest show on earth. It will be an experience children of all ages will remember for a lifetime. Like, I'm not convinced. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. It's been so corporatized. Oh, yeah. Well, diversity. Oh, we can't show animals anymore. Let's get foreign people. Yeah. And milk them for their yeah. foreignness. Same fucking thing, dude. It's just. It's just. It's just cleaner now yeah it's so much more perfect like the, the fact that they're doing the live auditions to like find acts they're going all over the world to find different acts they're finding you know the people that were just like the ringling brothers starting off who yeah. want a better life who have you know built up their amazing talent also there's something wrong with every single person in that video oh yeah i didn't like i didn't like what i was seeing i don't know why oh i didn't like the video yeah i yeah, thought yeah, the video should have been way more fun and whimsical there's something way wrong more, like there. circus music yeah. like what, what was that what but they're scared that? of it. They're trying to walk this fucked up. They're they're fucking it up. Yeah, they are they're, fucking they're, it they're up. They're no they're no Gus Ringling. Yeah. Wait, who is the smart one? John. They're no John Ringling. Yeah. So um, that's where we're gonna leave it, cause that's where it where it is. Yeah. Strength. Holy shit. I like that. You know, strength. We have a um, we have a lion, Leo, fire. So much fire in this fucking 
episode. Yes, yes. What is... um? I mean, when I think of strength, I just, I think of also the word that comes to mind is endurance. And I think of the enduring quality of the circus, just not only as a thing that exists, but as an idea that exists, because we all, like the carnival in media is such a thing, like something wicked this way comes. The idea of the carnival is like this foreign thing that sort of rolls to town and what wonders it may hold, what evil it may hold yeah and but like there is evil there but maybe not the evil you're expecting yeah (laughs) you know well yeah so strength or lust in the thoth deck uh strength um connects the spheres of chesed and geborah right it's the lowest uh it's the it's the it's the trump right before the abyss so it's the the highest possible thing that could be it's the highest possible level that could be theoretically perceived by humans. Yeah. Right? The highest ideals. And it's the joining of the um, Jupiter nature of, of Chesed and the animalistic, destructive Mars nature of Geburah. Mm-hmm. It's the the building, the building, the, the, the Jupiter shit, right? Yeah. Like... The spectacle, the showman, the control, the the all that, the magnanimous nature, and Mars, fire, war, yep, death, the ugly, the severe, and like that, and it's at the top too, right? It's at the fucking hot to the peak of those things. Well, so many of these people connected to the circus are these, um, and you look into any of these people, like Adam Forpaugh, like any name, Isaac Van Amberg, yeah. like any of these names mentioned. They're the same type of man. Like they're the yeah. same archetype. Yeah. I mean shit, even just the lion tamer. Yeah. The, the the what the circus represents is reflected in the job of the lion tamer, which is also reflected in the card of strength, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this I mean it, it's pulling fantasy into It's making something reality. out of nothing too. Yeah. Like you Life is just normal one day, just business as usual, and then the next day, fucking pandemonium. Well, it's the beginning of the attention economy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's the start. I mean, spectacle. I guess there's, I guess there's writers and stuff selling, so yeah, but spectacle, the spectacle economy. Yeah, it's fucking wild, and it's like it's not something you can call evil without calling everything evil, right? And I, I like, I'm, I'm yeah. always loath to do that, despite the true yeah. evil that you witness there because it's it's part of the it's part of the fucking story right right and it's like i also enjoy the fact that for so long the circus was seen as sort of a a dirty place to go yeah you know like a naughty place to go like oh you better hope that your teenagers aren't at the circus or at the carnival tonight yeah yeah gonna be getting into some bad business but then um, for a while it was a nostalgic place. Right. Yeah. And then it became a place for kids. Yeah, yeah. You know? So it's interesting that it also underwent that transformation of like a seedy place into like now it's just fucking corporate shell of itself. But it also seems like they were always trying to sell it as, you know, yeah. something good or educational. At least at least that's how it started with like the mm-hmm. menageries and shit. Yeah. Of which I have a way more problem with the menageries than I do the trapeze artists. Like, I don't So I really want to like, flip around and do it. I like this quote from semiotician what the oh, fuck the, is sem- that? semiotics it's um semiotics is the study of like the structure of language i believe uh t- 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 no or is that semantics no semiotics is i know i was just looking this up 
Oh, yeah. The theory and study of signs and symbols, especially as elements of language or other systems of communication. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, semiotician Paul Boziak, he writes, The circus is kind of a mirror in which culture is reflected, condensed, and at the same time transcended. Perhaps the circus seems to stand outside the culture only because it is at its very center. Couldn't have fucking, fucking said it better myself. That's goddamn right on. We needed a semi-autician to say it. That's <laughs> why you pay him the big bucks. Now yeah. He, he probably doesn't make much. No, all. but truly though. Yeah. That's no, that's exactly correct. Yeah. Fucking nailed it. Goddamn the circus. That was wild. Yeah. And also like the idea, you know, I don't know. You think of Leo, the lion, the cowardly lion. What did he need? Courage. What is strength? Courage. You know? What are you saying? I'm saying, I'm was, thinking about courage in relation to strength. The cowardly and, lion? Yeah. He was an anomaly. Well, because like he, the lion is a symbol of strength. No. Yeah. So, of course, that's what he would be lacking. As, that's true. As the, you know, yeah. something that needs something. That's true. He's the cowardly lion and he needs courage. And what do you need courage for um, starting like a fucking circus? To transcend. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of starting a circus is crazy. Like, that shit. just be like, yeah, me and my brother, we're just going to start performing. I'm just going to learn how to do crazy shit. We're just going to do really, really dangerous stunts like every week, which should be statistically impossible not to get injured. I mean, even fucking P.D. Barnum, for as, as much of a wretched bastard as he was, like, he, there's a there's a element of respect I have for him for fucking going for it, you know? Yes. Like, like that dude is a force to be reckoned with. You know, he yeah. transcended what should have been theoretically possible. Yeah, they're definitely not cowardly lions. No. They are full lion yeah. spirit. <laughs> full of fucking pride. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. Full of fire. Yeah. Sometimes too much fire. Sometimes that fire had to come and burn some shit down. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it endures. Oh, man. Lightning the strikes, too. Definitely like endures. the yeah. circus itself hitting a place and causing pandemonium. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Well, there you have it. Great episode. Fuck yeah. Yep. I, that was fascinating. It was truly fucking fascinating. All right. Yeah. Now make your ways to the nearest exits. Yeah, make your way to the nearest e egress at patreon.com slash nonsense bizarre. This, this way to the egress, patreon.com. Yeah, if you want to support the show, sign up for our Patreon. We have elephants. Gotta go see the elephant. Yeah, you gotta go see the <laughs> elephant, dude. No, but really, I'm having a lot of fun in our Discord. Yeah, uh, we have a new Discord. We have a, a bonus series. You can get access to all that for like $5 a month. And we'd love to see you there. Having some conversations, doing some stuff. It's fun. Um, Sharing some weird links. Yeah. And yeah, I don't quite know what we have going on next week. Oh, no. Yeah, I do. Drugs. Drugs. A lot of drugs next week. Don't feed them to your elephants. No, don't. No. No, not these. Yeah. A lot of drugs. Oh, boy. All the fucking drugs. Oh, that's exciting. It is. It's going to be fun. Um, all right, guys. And you can find us on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. Yep. Willow Truman. I'm on the things on yep. Twitter, on the Insta. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Tell every fucking street corner in America. Tell all Plaster the Plaster the buildings. Go by train. <laughs> by fucking, by steamboat. You tell them we're coming. We're not though. We're on the internet. We're going to stay right here. All right. Peace. Peace out. Peace out.